Well, very good. Uh, it's a blessing, and uh, enjoy hearing the kiddos sing. And let's be honest, they didn't run out of space. Y'all were sick of seeing me. <laughs> just be honest, that's what it was. I know it is, and I'm just going to own it. So, no, it's a blessing, and uh, thankful for all of that. And uh, I tell you, um, just especially here recently, stand up on the platform... Some of y'all need to trade places sometimes, just sit up here during the service. And uh, I know it's not universal, and uh, hopefully we can work on that, but uh, there's a lot of you all that are just catching the heart behind uh, the song service of just, it, we're singing not to our neighbor and not because it's just something we do, but singing unto the Lord, Amen. that we're just a big choir and He is the audience. And, uh, well, you can really sense that even up here. And uh, I just think while we were singing, It's Well With My Soul. Boy, those old hymns are dead, aren't they? They're just boring and old. And No, come on now. There's a lot of life in it. And it has a lot more to do with what's being, the heart being sung behind it. And uh, just want to uh, encourage you and just also let you know I'm proud of you. You're doing an awesome job in the song service of singing out unto the Lord. And uh, it's just an encouragement to sing a song that is hundreds of years old and yet still carries just as much weight as I believe the day it was written because of truth that's behind it. And uh, we are not old-fashioned by any stretch of the imagination. We don't do things because they're old. We do things because they're right. And uh, we believe there's a lot of new songs that are coming out nowadays that are good and are right, and we like to sing those too. But, boy, there's, don't throw away the old stuff too. There's so much good there. And uh, just so encouraged this morning uh, just by the singing. It was a blessing. The whole song service was just a tremendous blessing this morning. All right, Matthew chapter 17 here this morning. Matthew chapter 17, if you're able to, uh, to stand, if you'll stand with me uh, in honor of reading God's Word, Matthew chapter 17, and we're going to pick up our reading starting in verse number 14. Matthew chapter 17 and verse number 14. We've been in this uh, series and this idea of faith, spent most of the time in Hebrews 11, and now we've kind of been playing hopscotch through the Bible. Last couple weeks we spent in uh, Nehemiah looking at some faith exhibited in his life and ministry. And so this morning we're going to go to, of course, one of the best people to learn about faith from, Jesus. And uh, you want to learn anything about the Christian life, you can go to Jesus and learn the best example. And so look at Matthew chapter 17 and verse number 14. It says, And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic. Now, this has become my life verse for my son, Nate. No, I'm just kidding. Just, just had to take that opportunity there. And sore vexed, for oft time he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Now, you know the disciples are there with Jesus, and they're over there like, oh. <laughs> they he tattled on us, right? We couldn't do this. So verse 17, Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured 
from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart, when they're alone, right? They don't want to be called out openly again here. And said, why could not we cast him out? Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall be removed, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. I'd like to... Uh, preach to you this morning on this, faith that moves mountains. Faith that moves mountains. May God bless where you already to be seated, and thank you for standing, as always, in honor of the scriptures here this morning. <clears throat> Maybe you're here this morning and you've uh, asked this question of recent or at some point in your life. How come God doesn't work in my life like that? All right, see someone else in their Christian life and you say, man, God does some incredible things for them. How come God doesn't do those same things in my life? Maybe you've read through the scriptures and you read some Old Testament or New Testament stories and you step away from it and you go, how come God doesn't work in my life like that? We'd love to see God work in and through me that way. Maybe you've had that question before. Uh, God, I want you to do something incredible and amazing, some great act of faith in my life. Maybe you've wondered, how come it doesn't happen? Or why is it that I don't get to experience that? Uh, I, I'm very grateful in my lifetime, I've been able to witness some things that can only be described this way, impossible. God things, like where you step back and you go, there's no way that this did this unless God was involved. Because in human logic and in human thinking, it is impossible. There's no way that it could have ever happened that way. And sometimes we become skeptics uh, if we're not careful. We see what's happened in other people's life or we read in the Bible and we sit back and we go, oh, that was just luck. Or that was just circumstances, or that person just has unique things happen to them, or they're attributing more to God than what needs to be attributed to Him. And we can become a little callous and a little skeptic sometimes of looking at events that can only be God-explained and sit back and say, well... And we can start to question like they did in the book of Haggai, where they start asking the question, can God... And I love the prophet Haggai's response to the question, can God? He responds this way, God can. And it's a good way for us even here this morning to say, I want God to move in an incredible way in my life. I want to see God do things like he's done for uh, these people in the Bible. And I want to see like what he's done for other people in our church. I want to see incredible things and acts of faith happen in my life. And maybe here you're asking this question, can God do that? And I want to answer it with the declarative statement, God can. So we'll take our can gods and turn them into God cans this morning and realize that God is in mountain moving business. God is in incredible works that can only be explained by God, but the requirement for that is faith. 
not the quantity of your faith, but the quality of your faith. Where is your faith placed? Jesus said you just need a little bitty, bitty, bitty bit. The grain the size of a mustard seed. Now, let's look at our uh, text here and kind of get some context of what's going on. Now, don't turn off. This is the part that I get really excited about, but I've learned not everyone's a history geek like I am that just loves learning all this. Uh, but don't turn this off because this is, this is the groundwork that we're about to build something on about this idea. If you say, how can I have that amazing faith? How, how can I have faith that moves mountains? How, how is that possible? Well, let's do the groundwork so we can get to that point where we can answer that question biblically. Okay, So here is this story of a son that is described as a lunatic. In verses 14 through 18, it kind of begins to give us a little bit of the uh, background of this. Now, earlier on in the chapter, we understand that Jesus is up on a mountain with the inner three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. It's up on this mountain that they have the event known as the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Where Jesus is praying and then all of a sudden they are overcome by this glorious appearance of Jesus. And there is, uh, of course, uh, the other prophets that are there with him. And then they fade off and Jesus says to Peter, Behold my son, whom well please, you know, worship ye him. And of course, just a wonderful event that happens there at the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, while that's going on, the other nine disciples are kind of off doing ministry. They're off where they're supposed to be doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're approached by a man who has a demon-possessed son. It's manifest in some physical problems. Uh, he is a lunatic. And so because of that, they try to cast the devil out and are unable to do so. And they're hoping it doesn't get figured out. But that's not the case. Jesus comes down from the mountain and this unnamed man with an unnamed son, we don't know their proper names or who they are, he shows up and he says, save my son, heal my son, Jesus. Your disciples couldn't take care of the problem. So they say, well, what does it mean to be a lunatic? Now, I know what it means in our common vernacular. If you tell someone they're a lunatic, you say, they're crazy. Right? That... The, what we used to say when I was a kid is there are a few fries short of a Happy Meal, right? They're, they're missing a few things, right? Uh, they're, they're, they're not all there. But the term lunatic literally means to be moonstruck. The, the common term for this, again, stick with me here, would be epileptic. Okay? That would be the modern vernacular, the word that we would use today. So the reason why the term moonstruck or lunatic was used to describe that is they thought it had something to do with the lunar patterns, something to do with the moon phases and things that would cause people to have these seizures where they would just fall out and they would have these epileptic uh, seizures that they would be accompanying with that. Now, we obviously know today that the moon has nothing to do with epilepsy or seizures or anything like that. Okay? We, we understand that today, but that is the case that they thought back then. Epilepsy, or what's called in the Bible, somebody being a lunatic, is a neurological disorder which has been hallmarked by recurrent unprovoked seizures. Okay, so just so we're all on the same page of what's being talked about here. So this man even describes this. He says, Jesus, my son, is sore vexed. This has become terrible. 
because we're just going about normal life and then he has one of these episodes and he falls into fire. That's problematic. And then he says, and he has this episode, we're out on a boat or walking by the seashore and he falls into the water. Well, if you're having a seizure and you fall into fire or water, it becomes very life-threatening. So he says, this has become a very troublesome thing where my son is just really struggling with this physical debility of being a lunatic and constantly having these seizures in these extreme situations. Now, in our passage of scripture, this symptom of being a lunatic is brought on by this young boy being demon-possessed. Now, stick with me. I want to be very, very clear about this. <clears throat> Not everybody who has seizures is demon-possessed. Amen, Brother Kyle? His wife's been having some issues with that lately. Uh, I guess you can talk to Darla after the service about that, yeah. But I'll tell you, not everyone who has epilepsy or seizure or anything like that is demon-possessed. But in this particular passage of Scripture, that is the case. Now, again, in verse number 18, we know that that's the case because verse 18, he says that he rebukes the devil and the devil departs from the child. So we know that's the case in this story. But again, that doesn't mean that's the case every time. Again, you can go to Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 24 where it lists off the ailments that Jesus is healing. And it actually lists people who was casting out devils and somebody being a lunatic as two separate things. So we understand that Jesus healed other people that had the same problem without it being them casting out a devil. So they're two very distinct things. But in this case, they were one and the same. Now the man pleads with Christ, of course, to heal his son. In verse number 14, it actually says that he kneels down before Christ. Well, what is that? Well, it's a recognition of who Jesus is. That he is indeed God. He is indeed Lord. He is indeed worthy of worship, humility, hopelessness of this man. I can't solve this problem, but I think you can. I know you can. And he falls down on his knees before him. Of course, verse number 16 shows the helplessness of this. He says, I already talked to your disciples, the other nine guys. And they tried and failed. And I know it's only you that can solve this problem. This man is desperate. He's at a point where he says, I don't know what needs to be done. Please heal my son. Verse 17 and 18 record where Jesus heals the son. So in verse 17, Jesus rebukes his disciples and everyone around them by calling them a faithless generation. Now, again, not to dig into this too much, but a generation, of course, has to do with a segment of time or an age group of people. So Jesus, this won't be the first time in his earthly ministry, but he calls the day and age in which he was ministering, he says, this generation is without faith. So he calls them out here and he says this, this group of people, these Israelites, they are in a period of time where they are not trusting God they are not uh, uh, believing and having full faith in God. Instead, they are defined as this, faithless. They do not believe. They do not trust. They do not have full belief that I can do what I've said. I love it. He goes a step further, though. He says, this is not only a faithless generation. He then says, this is a perverse generation. Perverse literally means this, they're corrupt They've taken a path that God intended to be the direction they ought to be going, and they decided to distort it 
and twist it. You remember the Pharisees at this time, the Sadducees? They've taken God's word and they've twisted it and manipulated it. And so he says here what's happened is, is we have a generation that won't believe God and instead takes faith that should be placed in God and they put it in everything else. So they become perverse and crooked. Now, th this defines, I believe, a lot of what's going on even in our world now. Is we're living in a day and age in which there is faith being placed in any and everything else other than what God has said. Even among Christians, we can fall into this trap. So we ask a question, how long shall I be with you? The question kind of has a twofold meaning here. I'm only here for a short time and then I'm gone. I'm about to be crucified, about to be resurrected from the dead and you're all going to be on your own. How long are you going to have me? There's some lessons you need to learn so you better get them now. But then he asks this question, you know, how long shall I be with you? Also has kind of this meaning. Uh, how long do I have to put up with this nonsense? You ever do that as a parent? Right? How, long do, how many times do I have to explain this to you guys? And you almost think this is directed at the disciples. You know, he's looking at them and he's saying perverse generation, crooked generation, faithless generation. And he's kind of got in mind this large crowd. But it's almost like he's kind of singling out the disciples here. He goes, this, how long am I going to be with you? I mean, you've only got me for a short time. There's some things you need to figure out. And you should have been able to handle this problem. There's some things that you need to learn. He then asked the question, how long shall I suffer you? How long am I going to have to hear this and put up with this and keep going through this? And Jesus' rebuke, of course, is heard loud and clear from the disciples. So Jesus, of course, cast out the devil from the boy. He's healed of his physical ailment then that the devil was causing, that of this epileptic seizures that he was having, this lunaticism that he had, it's removed. And so afterwards, here's where the disciples start to learn some things. We're not going to ask this question in front of everyone. We're going to wait till it's in private. <laughs> and they ask Jesus and they go, uh, why couldn't we do that? Now that's the question we're trying to answer this morning, isn't it? We're trying to answer the question. The disciples came to this conclusion. They see this amazing thing happen and they go, we tried to have amazing faith. We tried to see something that we knew only God could do. But we couldn't. We failed. We didn't see it in our life. But Jesus, you were able to do this. And you performed this incredible miracle. And so how is it that you did what we could not? How is it that you experienced this wonderful, amazing miracle that we did not? And of course, it's a great question to ask. The question that we asked this morning. How is it that some people have this amazing, incredible faith? And they're able to see these awesome things that God does. But not me. Where is it for me? So it's the same question that we're asking this morning. The disciples ask Jesus. So Jesus answers the question. And he comes into it and he says this. Disciples, here's what you need. You need faith. You say, oh, here we go again. By this point, we're all experts in faith, aren't we? I mean, this is sermon number 32, right? So faith, substance, evidence, faith, believing what God has said enough to act upon it, okay? Uh, I mean, it's not a complicated thing. Unfortunately, our world has complicated it. Faith, oftentimes people say, is just a whimsical wish. I want it enough, and I'm just going to grab at air and whatever I want. If I just believe hard enough, God will give it to me. That's not faith, okay? Uh, if, if that was the case, I'm really wanting $100 million, 
and I think God's going to give it to me, and I'm presumptuous enough, I'm just going to go to God and say, God, if I just mm, want it bad enough, you're just going to drop it in my lap. Now, you can find some preaching like that if you went onto a TV this afternoon. You'll find some guy who's up there. He'll probably say something like this, and for the low price of $33, God will give you 33 blessings in your life. Okay? It's cool how they do that number thing. And he'll pull some crazy verse out of context. That's not faith. Okay? And, and unfortunately, our world has bought into that idea. Well, what is biblical faith? Biblical faith simply says this. If God said it in His Word, then you can believe it. Amen. It is as good as done. If God said He's coming back, He's coming back. Amen. You can put faith in that. Well, uh, yeah, but our world... Uh, yeah, God said it, though. If, if God said that you would do certain things and He would do certain things, you can take that to the bank. I mean, there, this Bible is full of promises from God. Promises made directly to you and me here in the church age, believers in Christ. There are promises made to us. And here's the thing. God says, if you will just believe what I have said, I will do what I said I would do. So the simple question is, are we going to take God at His word? So how strong is your faith in God's word here this morning? So again, just not trying to beat this idea into the ground... But just so we're all on the same page with this, we're not talking about just grabbing magic things out of the air and, and just saying on a hope and a prayer, well, I really want this. No, no, no. If God didn't promise in His Word those things, you can't claim them by faith. Read through Hebrews 11. God said something. Somebody believed Him enough to act on it, and God did what He said. That, that's how faith works. Faith has substance. Faith has evidence. Faith is believing what God has said enough to act upon it. And so here in this passage of Scripture, Jesus again comes to His disciples and He dives into this idea of faith. So the, the, the disciples come and they say, how come we couldn't do this? How come we couldn't do this amazing miracle and see a, a, a God-can awesome thing happen? And Jesus says, because of your unbelief. It's a singular thing he points to, your lack of faith. Jesus answers their questions with simplicity, but then he unpackages it. I'm thankful for a God that gives us the, the top shelf answer, right? The bottom shelf answer, but then unpacks it and gives us all the top shelf stuff. So here, that's exactly what Jesus does. He says it's because of your unbelief. So what does that look like? Well, he says, here's the problem, disciples. You've been looking at the quantity of your faith instead of the quality of your faith. Because <clears throat> no doubt these disciples had a great amount of faith. The problem is, where was their faith being placed? So Jesus comes and he says, For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed. Now, probably here this morning, it would probably been good if I would brought some mustard seed. You'd have been able to see it anyways, but <clears throat> you know how small it is. But uh, because we're in Texas, and we're in Wise County, and we're in Bridgeport. Another example. You ever have a BB you put in a BB gun? About the same size. Because every redneck understands what a BB gun is, okay? How the BB's going there. Maybe a better connection for us. Like, if Jesus lived in Wise County for his earthly ministry, he may not say, have faith in the grain of mustard seed. He'd say, have faith the size of a, a Red Rider BB in a BB gun, Right? Because we understand that reference. But for them, they understood the grain of mustard seed. But similar in size, okay? So it's just a little round thing. It's not like microscopic. It's not so small you can't see it. But as far as seeds go, it is very small for what it produces. 
the mustard tree that it produces is like eight to 10 feet tall. And it's a, a pretty big little tree shrub thing that it produces. It's from this little bitty seed. And so Jesus says, listen, this little bitty seed that they'd all be familiar with, this mustard seed, he says, if you would have faith that much, you'd be doing pretty good. Well, what is Jesus pointing to here? Is he saying we ought to have faith in mustard seeds? No. We all understand what Jesus is talking about. He's using the mustard seed as an illustration to show the size of the faith. Because as a mustard seed is small, so too he's saying your faith can be small. But it must be in the right thing. So here's what Jesus is ultimately saying is this. It doesn't matter how much faith you have so long as the faith is placed in the right thing. So sometimes our faith can be really small. Remember when we did the story of Gideon? And he's out there and he's like, let the ground be wet, but the fleece be dry. Okay, let the fleece be wet and the ground be dry. And, he like, he's, and he's, oh, mighty man of valor. And he shows up and he's threshing wheat in the bottom of a valley, you know, scared to death. That, that was not a mighty man of incredible faith. And yet he had faith the size of a mustard seed placed his faith in the right thing, and God did incredible things through him. See, the question here this morning is not how much faith you have. The question here this morning is how strong is your faith? Because I can have a lot of faith in myself, and it's in the wrong place. A lot of people put a lot of, a lot of stock in themselves. Well, if I can just learn more, if I can just be stronger, if I can just... Mm, if I can just psych myself up, if I can just go the extra mile, if I can just do more. And they look inward for the strength they need for what only God can do. Amen. A lot of people try to place faith in other people. Well, my spouse, well, my children, well, my parents, well, uh, my church, my, my uh, uh, fellow Christians at my uh, local New Testament church. Well, this, uh, they try to put faith in all these other things. Unfortunately, there's those who put faith in our government. I hope you're not in that realm. They've really kind of dropped the ball here lately. <laughs> maybe not lately. It's maybe a little bit more evident lately. But say this, a lot of people put faith in, in the government. And, well, the government will provide this, and the government will do this, and the government will do this. And they put their faith in that. Some people put their faith in money. Unfortunately, a lot of people put faith in money. Well, I've got a, I've got a, a big... Uh, 401k and I've got a large retirement fund and take thy soul, take rest for many years, you're laid up and got all this treasure. And Jesus' response to the rich ruler, we talked about this even last week on Sunday night, was thou fool. Don't put your faith in monetary things because there's really no security here on this earth, right? Volatility, the, the inflation, everything that's involved can just wipe that away. I'm trying to be a, a downer here this morning. But I am saying this, oftentimes people put faith in all the wrong things and they put large quantities of faith in those things. Here this morning, the question is not do you have large quantities of faith. The question this morning is where is your faith being placed? So this morning, Jesus simply says this, if you would have the right kind of faith, even a small amount of the right kind of faith does pretty incredible things. He says, disciples, if you would have faith in me, the size of a grain of mustard seed. We're talking just a little bitty. He says, here's what you do. Tell the mountain to get out of here and it'd be moved. Now everyone stops and they go, oh, this is going to be cool. I'm going to be like a Star Wars Jedi. And they're going to be like moving mountains and stuff. Ugh. Nobody understands this passage that Jesus is telling them to go out and collect mustard seeds so they can have more faith. 
But somehow we start believing that if we have enough faith, we're going to start like Jedi mind trick moving mountains. It, it's all uh, to illustrate a point. Small faith does massive things. So don't be so focused on moving a mountain as much as you are saying this. Is that impossible for somebody, an individual person, whether by mind or by strength, to go out and pick up a mountain and move it? Impossible, right? To the same degree, God is able to do impossible things if you'll simply have this much faith. It's an illustration to point out the reality. There's some things where people sit back and they go, only God could do that. Just like if, if I saw an individual go out and pick up a mountain and move it, I would go, wow, that's not normal. He didn't do that on his own. There's something else helping him. Amen. I mean, what the logic in our mind would say that. And so what we're saying is, is sometimes there's things that God does in and through us that everyone around simply says this, that was a God thing. Only God could do that. that there was some divine fingerprints on that. And that only happens when there's faith placed in the right thing. So Jesus comes to his disciples and he says this. It's not that you uh, lacked faith as much as it is you lacked faith in the right thing. Faith in me, the size of a grain of mustard seed, can do incredible and massive things. But he then comes to the disciples and he says this. You need to recognize that this kind of faith, it doesn't come easy. It comes by prayer and it comes by fasting. Amen. Now, we could, we could talk about the, the uniqueness of prayer. We just did a big series on praying. We even had a whole sermon on fasting and the importance of those. But I think the idea that Jesus is pointing out in this is there's something about focus and earnestness behind prayer and fasting. When it becomes a matter of prayer, and it's something that we are praying and we are praying and we are praying about, and then we are, it becomes a matter of fasting, which means this. We are limiting food intake. Okay? There's a lot of talk about fasting nowadays. Fast is simply saying this. I'm not eating any food, just drinking water. And I'm going to do this for this period of time so that I may give attention to prayer. It's really the pure intention in the Bible of why somebody would fast. So what is that? Somebody who is praying about a matter that becomes so singular focused in their heart. Praying about a matter that becomes so consuming of them that they can't help but then say, I'm going to set aside food so that I may give better attention to praying over this matter. What is that? Well, that shows some persistence, some earnestness, some seriousness. That, that shows something where we're saying this isn't just a casual, normal matter that's being dealt with here. This is something of great significance and great importance. Now, that kind of faith, grain of the size of mustard seed, requires that kind of earnestness and persistence from us. It just, it just does. Not the quantity, the quality of the faith. The directness, the pureness, the, the persistence behind it. So say here this morning, uh, just kind of by way of application, bringing this all together. When Jesus looked at his disciples and he said this, you failed because you were faithless, because of your unbelief. What Jesus was telling them was simply this. You did not believe that God could do it. You, you tried to cast out the devil, but in the back of your mind you were thinking this. This is something that's impossible. And only God can do this, and so it's not going to happen. So he says, because of that, it didn't happen. 
You didn't have faith. You didn't believe. And so he says, this kind comes not by prayer and fasting. There's some seriousness and directness that's required for it. So for us here this morning, what does that mean? Well, there's some things in our life that I believe require some directness, some seriousness, some persistence, some just get after it, and this is so important it needs to be focused on. Some areas of faith. So if you're here this morning and you say, I've never seen God move in an incredible way in my life. Well, have you prayed for Him to do that? When's the last time you fasted about something like that? You know, that coworker that you're working with right now at your workplace, and he is an absolute God denier. I'm talking about the guy who, like, hates everything church, and he's like, I'll never be a Christian. I hate everything about it. You know, in my life, I've seen people like that get saved. Who say, how? Prayer. Persistence. Faith. Now, listen, I understand ultimately it's that individual person's... Uh, choice whether they're going to believe or reject the gospel but i'm saying this the bible does say he that goeth forth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing bringing his sheaves with him and there needs to be some weeping and some consistent purposeful prayer and fasting if you want to see god move mountains you want to see something incredible happen like that then it requires some serious faith in a serious god Amen. think about church tonight we're going to talk about something that's uh moving a mountain <laughs> in all honestness, I think about this, the more I've thought and more I've dwelt on it, the more I pray about it, I, I simply say this, I want to attempt great things for God and believe God can do great things. And, and something that is going to come before that is this earnestness and this seriousness, simply say, God, if this is something you want to see done, if, if you want to grow your church and you want to do something, then we're simply going to have to be earnest and fast and pray and be serious about this thing. And trust that He alone can do it. I'd love for nothing else than to be able to step back and say, we asked the question, can God? And now we can declare it and say, God can. Amen. Boy, what a testimony. Now listen, we could go down the list. Someone here this morning, maybe in their marriage. Maybe somebody with your children. Maybe somebody here this morning with your finances. And you're asking the question, can God there's no way that this could happen. My child is too wayward. My marriage is too broken. My finances are too out of control. My life is too out of hand. Sin has grabbed a hold of me and I'll never break free. And maybe you're asking the question, can God? And the declarative statement is, if God has said it in his word, then God can. Amen. And there's some things that only God can do, but it takes us having faith in an amazing God. And so there needs to be this directness, this earnestness, this seriousness that says, I will believe God and His Word, and all I need is a grain the size of a mustard seed. You say, can God move mountains? Absolutely. But it takes some serious faith. The question here this morning is, where's your faith placed? How strong is your faith? Let's all stand together as we come to a time of invitation.